Father, we thank you. Please bless the Munch family right now. Um, Touch them. Surround them. Embrace them. Encourage them. We thank you, Father, that you will do just that. Continue to show your glory in this earth. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone say it. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we get a chance to start a brand new series this week um, entitled Complete Forgiveness. The word forgiveness, man, has been tossed around and misused and abused so very, very much. And we get a chance to kind of biblically clarify it, get a chance to see it biblically. Because, you know, again, the world is pretty good at grabbing a subject matter and pulling it from the Bible into the world and kind of redefining it. And sometimes this can happen uh, with, uh, with biblical terms. They get pulled from the spiritual realm into the world and they get redefined. So we want to make sure that we understand what biblical forgiveness means. So let's let me give you a little groundwork that we'll need to operate on first. To forgive somebody, you have to realize that you've been forgiven. You'll have to understand the totality of what it costs you to be forgiven. It would be hard to mentally interpret forgiveness if you don't understand that you've been forgiven. So to start it off, we're going to start from a view that we believe is biblical, but also from God. How God seen forgiveness, how he used forgiveness in the earth, how he decided to forgive us. So we could get an idea of what that is. But again, remember, if you don't understand that you have been forgiven, it's almost impossible for you to actually exercise the concept of forgiveness. Last but not least, we're good at making verbal statements. You know, we learn what the Bible says, so we repeat it. But this is one of those things you actually have to experience to actually make it yours. You will have to experience forgiveness to actually make it yours. This is not one that you can just talk about. You're going to have to understand you needed forgiveness. And it was extended. And once you accepted Christ, you'll have to make sure you experience what the cost of your forgiveness is and that you are forgiven. So are you ready to dive in? I think we kind of dealt with some of the groundwork. So let's dive right into this thing. I got a little paragraph I'm going to read to you. It says, forgiveness. It's God's act of restoring his relationship with us and removing the weight of the overwhelming guilt of sin. God forgives the offense as well as the offender. How many of us know that sin has an overwhelming weight of guilt? And it can actually make you physically sick. You know that stress is the number one killer in the world? Well, so is unforgiveness in the minds of a believer. If you don't believe that you have been forgiven, that produces stress in your life. 
Because if God doesn't forgive you, what source does forgiveness come from? There is no other source. So you end up carrying this overwhelming weight. But God does forgive. He forgives everything. And that's what we want to do in this first installment of this particular series called Complete Forgiveness. We want to make sure we understand how does God extend his forgiveness. So without any further ado, let's dive right in. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to be reading from the Amplified Translation. And uh, we're just going to have some fun. Hopefully you get your notepads ready, you get your pencils ready, and you've called somebody and said, hey, Pastor Ben and, and Tuesday Church is on, so get dialed in. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to begin to read at verse number 11 in the Amplified Translation. It reads as follows. It says, every priest stands at his altar of service, ministering daily, offering the same sacrifices over and over, which are never able to strip away sins that envelop and cover us. So the priests were fulfilling a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do. But the priests were standing in a position that every year they'd have to continue to practice the same sacrifices over and over because the blood of goats and of calves could never totally remove sin. It could only cover it for a one-year period, and then they'd have to come back again that following year. Are you following me? So let's read on. It says, Whereas Christ, having offered the one sacrifice, the all-sufficient sacrifice of himself for sins for all time, the all-sufficient sacrifice of sins, Jesus sat down, signifying the completion of atonement for sin. At the right hand of God, the position of honor. Waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Listen closely. For by the one offering, this is Jesus, he has perfected forever... And completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. Could you hold that up there for one time, for a second for me, brother? It says, for by one offering, the the sacrifice of Jesus, he has perfected, how long? Forever and completely, not kind of. Not partially, but completely cleanse those who are being sanctified. Sanctified means being purified and set apart. So you've been perfected, you've been completely cleansed, and now you are being sanctified. You are being set apart for a purpose. Now hear me, who's doing all of this? God is doing all of this. Who's it doing it for? He's doing it for us who didn't deserve this. He did it for us who are sinners. It says when we were yet his enemies... He died for us. Are y'all following me? Can you see this level of forgiveness beginning to come into play? It wasn't something we did that would win his favor for, for, for forgiveness. It wasn't the amount of remorse that you showed. It wasn't the amount of money you gave. It wasn't the amount of attendance you did at church. None of those things comes into play 
God took the position of forgiver. He wanted to forgive us because he wanted to restore us to him. Are y'all following me today? Let's go back to that verse one more time. It says, for by this, for by the one offering, he has perfected forever and completely cleansed those who are being sanctified, bringing each believer to spiritual completion and maturity. Let's read on, bro. Because this is important for us to really get. And the Holy Spirit also adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. For after having said, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will imprint my laws upon their heart. And on their mind, I will inscribe them, producing, I love this, an inward change. He then says, hold on to something, y'all. And their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. No longer holding their sins against them. Now where this is absolute, now where there is absolute forgiveness and complete cancellation of the penalty of these things, there is no longer any offering to be made to atone for sin. So God takes this major step forward and part of the reconciliation plan to forgive us. You know, this is where we kind of drugged forgiveness from the biblical realm into the worldly realm. And then we put sins, we developed sins into categories. You know, the filthy six, the dirty dozen, you know, this one is worse than this. I haven't sinned as bad as you have because it waters down and kills the concept of this forgiveness. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he didn't say Listen, the first three hours of this death period is for the major sins. The second three hours of this death period are for the, 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 the medium sins. And the last three hours, no, he didn't do that. He died for sin. So let me in on a secret. We're going to pull the definition of forgiveness back to the body of Christ. And the price, the payment for sin is death. I don't care what size sin you want to call because there is no size sin. Whatever sin is sin, sin is wrong. All of it's wrong, whether you consider it to be small or not. Oh, I didn't tell a big lie. I just told a little white lie. I don't even know what the heck that means and neither should you. But again, that's how we have taken something and watered it down. Listen to me. A lie is a lie. A lie is an intentional Intentional mistruth. A lie is a lie, whether you consider it small or not, because the person that it affects is the person that heard it, not the person that said it. Are, are y'all still with me this morning? So it's important for us to understand what is it that he's saying here? He's saying that as the forgiver, I have decided to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to forgive everybody. So the product, the, the, the product of forgiveness is available for every single human being, regardless 
of what they have done. Oh, Pastor Ben, you can't say that. I didn't say it. God did. I'm repeating. Did he define these sins here? No. Are, are y'all still here today? See, what happens to us, we've, ha- we've been hurt or something has happened to us and we want somebody to pay. Well, I remember the old proverb said, whenever you want revenge, you better go ahead and dig two graves. One for the person you're trying to go after and one for yourself because you'll be guilty as well. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we'll say it one more time because we need to get this. We all fall short of the glory of God. It does not say some fell shorter than others. It says that we all fall short. So here's the kicker. It's good to understand. You have been forgiven. And if you have not been forgiven, then your only eternal destination is going to be hell. Somebody say amen. And how do you get this forgiveness? Jesus provided it for you when he died on the cross. Is this making sense? This is how God extended this incredible gift. Let's go to another verse. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I pray God this is helping you today. Again, from God's viewpoint, it says, So as God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well-loved by God himself, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, which has the power to endure, which has the power to endure, which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper. Bear graciously with one another and willingly forgiving each other if one has a cause for complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so should you forgive. You know, being full of compassion, kindness, understanding becomes your reservoir that helps you withstand injustices. See, when you know you are a child of God, then no one's opinion or no one's behavior can change that fact. Are y'all hearing me today? So somebody can come along and try to do something to you or say something about you, but it cannot change the fact that you are a child of God. If you understand that, if you have been forgiven by God, nobody's voice can change that. Now, listen to me. You may run into somebody that you violated, run into somebody that you hurt, ran into somebody that you failed. I need you to know when you went to God, God forgave you. He forgave the offense as well as forgive the offender. You receive that forgiveness. You make it a part of your life. Now, when that person who wants maybe revenge or grudge or whatever comes at you, you can withstand that unpleasantness. You can withstand that situation because you know who you are. If somebody walked up to you and said, you know, you're the dumbest person I ever met. You need to be able to deal with that appropriately. You know good and well. 
<laughs> it can't be true. Matter of fact, the person telling you that is probably the dumbest person he ever met. <laughs> Do you understand? But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know you've been forgiven, you won't be able to forgive that person. You will take uh, offense to that statement and want to defend yourself when you don't have to. But if you know you've been forgiven, is this making sense to you today? When you know you've been forgiven, it allows you to make a stand because it allows you to realize I'm in the same boat as everybody else. God did it this way so no man could boast. Let me read on. One of the great things about this is having these wonderful biblical examples in the Bible. So we're going to share this one here out of Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin to read it, verse number 36, again in the Amplified Translation. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined... At the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. <laughs> Always like that definition. <laughs> Always like that. There was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. From God's standpoint, everybody in the city is a sinner. And should have been known by that because they just because they didn't know didn't mean that they weren't sinners. But that's from God's standpoint. But aren't we good at picking out somebody else's sin and making it bigger than our own? Again, we have dragged forgiveness from the biblical Bible into the world and redefined it. There are no big six sins. There's no filthy 12 sins. Sin is sin. If you want to compare your sin with somebody else's, guess what's important to you? Sin instead of Christ's death that provided for us forgiveness. So you're either going to be sin conscious or you're going to be grace conscious. Are y'all following me today? I've decided to be grace conscious. I've decided to accept hmm, his forgiveness for me. Man, I didn't deserve it. Lord knows I did not deserve it. But my God loved me so much that he sent his one and only son. Who was part of the creation. To die for me. And then Jesus who had never ever been separated from his father to come and know that he was about to take on the sins of the world that would separate him from his father. But still go through that for me, for you. Can you see how big, how deep, how thorough and how complete forgiveness really is. Jesus said, my father, wow, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was separated from his father. Listen to me. Upon creation, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about, let us, no, in verse 26, let us make man in our image. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He was always apart with God, always there. But he came and gave himself away for you and I. He took our sin 
So we could experience forgiveness. I need you to grasp that and and experience this forgiveness because you are forgiven. And as you do, you'll be able to forgive others. As God has forgiven you, you'll be able to forgive others. Let's, Let's read on. It says, now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he, he being Jesus, was reclining at the table In the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Now listen to me. Once you realize you're a sinner, you'll go to any means necessary to meet Jesus because you know he is the source of your forgiveness. She entered a Pharisee's house who would have definitely marked her, and we'll see it later, definitely marked her as a sinner. I don't even know how she got in the house. But she made a way there because she knew the one that would forgive her, the Messiah, was there. And she wanted to make sure she had an interaction with him. Now, she could have waited for the owner of the house, Pharisee, to say, oh, sister, you're okay. But she knew that wasn't the source. She knew the only source was Jesus. How about you? Have you been looking for forgiveness in a whole bunch of different other ways and different avenues? No, forgiveness comes from God through Jesus and his blood shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let's read on. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Now, the alabaster box... The box itself, the alabaster box, was made of a really special material that came from a special quarry that they created the box. Inside the alabaster box was something they probably called spikenard at that time, was a very, very expensive perfume. So this alabaster box was very, very special in itself, but then the perfume inside of there. So this woman who was known as a sinner was going to take the most expensive thing to her and lay it down at Jesus' feet. Someone will ask you today. What do you have to lay at his feet? Guilt. Condemnation. I don't know about you. I needed to be washed clean completely I needed to know that I had a fresh start I needed to know that I was being sanctified that I was being set apart for his purpose see because on my own I was horrible and I know I'm not just speaking for me I know I'm speaking for you too But this lady realized who she was. She realized who society had marked her as. She realized the things that she had done. She realized that there was no other way. There was no other avenue for her to travel to get the relief from this overwhelming guilt. But to be at Jesus' feet. So she did something that wasn't proper for her to do. There was no way in the world she should have been at Jesus' feet. In this kind of capacity, there was no way she should have been in the Pharisee's house. She was a sinner. 
But she broke every single rule to get to Jesus. I need you to do the same. The world has taught you a whole bunch of crazy stuff about sin and about how to make up for it and all that kind of stuff. I'm here to tell you today, drop it all. There's only one way that your sins are forgiven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So I need you to break every rule. I need you to forget all that other stuff. Go to Jesus. So she's crying and she's now (laughs) washing Jesus' feet with her hair. I could really take you deep, but I'm not going to go there today. But I need you to understand your hair is connected to your head when your head is connected to your mind. So she submitted herself completely to Jesus. And respectfully kissed his feet Mm, mm, mm. as an act of signifying both affection and submission and anointed them with the perfume. So here she is at Jesus' feet, submitting and then giving the most expensive thing that she has to his feet, to the lowest part of his body. She is giving everything where Jesus who's still alive right now, is about to do the same thing for all of us. He's about to give away everything that he is so we could be forgiven. Let me read on. I like this part. Now, when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this. Now, Simon knew who he he was giving this invitation to, right? No, he really didn't know Jesus. He he knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Now, when Simon, the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. That she is a notorious sinner and outcast, devoted sin (laughs) Jesus answering now Jesus is answering a question that Simon didn't even verbally speak out (laughs) Simon said this to himself Jesus heard him just like he hears us and answered the unspoken statement of Simon listen closely Jesus answering said to the Pharisee Simon I have something to say to you. And he replied, teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, 550. When they had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which one, excuse me, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you have decided correctly. Now, this system is not God's system. This system is man's system because what does man do? Man measures your sin. See, this woman became a notorious Sinner, not because she volunteered for the notorious sinner line. 
You know what I mean? I want to join the notorious sinner group. That's the group I want to be a part of. No, she, she didn't volunteer for that, but that's what she was assigned by other sinners. So brothers and sisters, I need you to know something today. Your job is not to identify sin. Your job is to identify Jesus to the sinner. That's our job. Because once we identify Jesus to the sinner, then that sinner has a choice to receive the forgiveness and be relieved from the overwhelming guilt. But you won't do that until you realize that your sins amounted to the exact same thing. The wages for your sin is death. Not partial death. Death. Everybody's sin. The payment for your sin is death. Oh, pastor, you can't mean the little stuff I do. Yes. All of it. There is no comparison. There is no competition in sin. All sin leads to death. Jesus came and paid for that. So what does that mean to you? Hmm. Who are you not forgiving? Who are you holding to a different standard of accounting? Who are you saying, I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not saying you got to go to dinner with that person. I'm just saying you have to forgive them because God forgave you. You can never forget that God forgave you. Well, I didn't do what they did. It didn't matter because Jesus died for sin. He didn't die for comparisons of sin. He died for sin. Well, I don't like that system. Tough. It's real. It's biblical. It is the truth. Let me finish reading. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I love this statement right here. Simon had already identified her as a notorious sinner. (laughs) Sometimes we see people at their worst, but never see them. We don't see them as the potential child of God. We see them as sinners. So Jesus is telling Simon, you, you, you haven't ever seen this woman before. You're looking at her, but you've never seen her before. You keep looking at what, is, what she has done, and you haven't realized what I'm about to save her from. Why is this important? See, you accept Jesus today. You begin to understand what all of that means. You see somebody else who hasn't accepted Jesus yet, and you want to make them victims of their sin. It's the same savior to save you will save them. Your job is to make sure those two meet. Is this making sense to anybody today? So Jesus said, do you see this woman? Simon had already said that's a notorious sinner. That's how Simon knew her. But listen to what Jesus says. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. But you failed to extend to me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss. 
But from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil. But she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Once, sometimes when we get churchified, we just come to church thinking we belong here. I have a right to be up in here. We get churchified. I'm here to tell you today, (laughs) none of us deserve this. We don't deserve this. But the Pharisee felt he did. Jesus is coming to his house. He doesn't need to show Jesus any courtesies. He doesn't need to do that. I'm here to tell you, there's people who come to church the same way. They just come here because they're supposed to. Or they come here because uh, it's, it's the church at the corner of walk and don't walk. They just come. But this is not the church. You are the church. So we need to come into his presence and humbleness. Come into his presence. Thanking him for this forgiveness that we have received. Is this making sense to you today? Almost done. He says, therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. (laughs) So to all the people who said, I've only told a little white lie. (laughs) You're going to forgive. You're going to receive the same forgiveness this woman received who had, based on the world's calculations, many sins. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So if you think you've only told little white lies and all you need is a little forgiveness, guess what it traps you into? Extending little forgiveness to others. You're going to be cold. You're going to be harsh on everybody else. Matter of fact, here's the part that's really horrible. You're going to be cold and hard and harsh In short, with the people that are closest to you. You're going to hold them to a standard that nobody can live up to. That's what they did to this woman. You'll hold people to a standard that you don't even live up to. The only reason you think you live up to it because you changed the definition of sin. Whatever you believe, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you will treat people accordingly if you think you are better than them based on their level of sin and your small amount of sin. You will treat people accordingly. You will give them no space for recovery. You will give them no space for restoration. Is this making sense today? Until you realize Jesus died for you. So you would be forgiven. Then he said to her, I like this part. Your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Those who were reclining at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this? 
who even forgives sins. See, because up until that time, in our minds, we are so sin conscious, we don't think there's an avenue for sins to be forgiven. So we continue to identify people by their sin instead of by their salvation. We continue, continue to call people sinners when they have become saints by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We can continue to call ourselves sinners instead of saints because we are able to identify sin. We are sin conscious. That's what these people are. Who does this man think he can forgive sins? Because sins in their world is the most powerful identifier. You identify everybody by their sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's what we do. We identify everybody by their sin. Instead of the fact that Jesus has died for us. Listen to me. I have a litany of sins that I am forgiven for. God forbid if I am identified by any of those things. Because somebody named Jesus paid a complete price. For me to be set free from that identifier. I am now a child of God. And as a child of God, I am willing to forgive others. Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in worry and anxiety, go in fear of people's opinion, go. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, go in peace, free from the distress experience because of sin. When you understand that you've been totally forgiven, you're going to have to stand strong against people's opinion. People who identify you back in 1906, you may have done something then, and that's the only way they remember you. So they're going to try to identify you as that, as they did the woman. But if you went to his feet, (laughs) if you have cried and washed his feet with the tears of your remorse and your hurt and your pain, he has cleansed you. He has forgiven you. So you're going to have to stand up and then you're going to have to go in peace because you're going to have to take that peace with you because there are people who are still caught in the concept of identifying people by their sin. Are you forgiven today? Do you understand God's forgiveness for you? I'm going to close with this. Um, Matter of fact, I didn't even share this with the brother, but um, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 11. Jesus says, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Sin is an overwhelming weight. But when you come to Jesus, his burden is light. So what am I saying to you today? Do you understand why complete forgiveness is important for us to understand? Why the word complete is there? Connected to forgiveness because you have been completely forgiven. We'll say, well, pastor, I'm going to have to grow in this. That's why we're, that's why we're going through this series because pastor has to grow too. But I need us to understand the only way we can actually move forward is to understand how God sees it and what he gave to us. You are completely 
forgiven. There will always be someone, somebody who think they know you from your past. There will always be somebody like that. Always. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. There will always be somebody who think they know you now from your past. You're going to have to stand and know that you've been forgiven. Last but not least, the woman was seeking forgiveness for not what was done to her, but for what she had done. She needed to be forgiven. Once she knew she was forgiven, she would then be able to forgive others. How about you today? Are you ready to one, experience forgiveness and two, extend forgiveness? Well, you don't know what happened to me, pastor. I know what happened to Jesus. I know what happened to Jesus. You need to understand the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. The son was never, ever separated from his father. Ever. Jesus was present at the creation of the world. Jesus was never, ever separated from his father. Ever. But he decided, the father decided to send his son. Because he loved us so much. So there wasn't a nail that held Jesus on the cross. It was love that he decided to face for the first time in his life, separation from the father to extend to us forgiveness. Then he even said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the midst of being beaten and ravaged, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he closed his eyes and he gave up the spirit, the price for our sins was completely paid. But then he got up and broke the back of death and led us triumphantly, us, into the land of peace. So he told the woman, go in peace. I'm telling you today, please go in peace of understanding. You have been forgiven. The price has been paid. Receive it today. And everything that's important to you, everything that you consider to be expensive, give it up for Jesus and lay it at his feet. Brothers and sisters, I thank you for hanging out with us today. This is the first installment in this particular series. Please come back next week. Please let some folks know that we're talking about a subject matter that's vitally important to the body of Christ. Love you. Looking forward to seeing you next week. God bless.